Opening scene from my favorite movie of all time, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, if you've never seen it, well, first of all, you're missing out. At the core, it's a story about failure. George Bailey, the main character, trapped in his hometown, sacrificing for others. He is a great guy. Everybody likes him. Successful? Eh, not that successful. And then one day, everything that he has, it all comes crashing down. His building and loan company has misplaced $8,000. That's a lot of money back then. It's about $137,000 in today's world. He is at the bottom. He feels like a failure. And by every measurement of the world, he is a failure. And the richest man in town reminds him of that when George goes to him for help. Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you with a warped, frustrated young man? miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. (laughs) You're worth more dead than alive. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, all-around good guy and America's college recruiting guru. Dan Tudor! So why the heck would you want to talk about failure? And why the heck would we want to devote an entire podcast to failure? Well, the answer is pretty simple. If you're a college coach, you're going to experience failure at some point in your career, at some point in leading your program, failure is going to happen. In fact, you might be listening to this and you might be struggling with a failure that has just happened uh, or that you're trying to recover from. The point is failure is a part of life and it's certainly a part of a coach's life. How do you recover from it? How do you bounce back and how do you learn to use it to your advantage? That is really what we want to talk about today. Very excited to do so because like most of you, uh, most of my professional life has been failure. I have done way more wrong than I've done right. And that's something that if you don't learn from it will kill you and certainly hamper any kind of career that you're trying to develop. And I don't want that to happen to you. And I think a lot of good coaches understand that failure comes as part of the deal, that in in the college athletic world, you're going to experience failure at a very high rate. The key to the difference between mediocre coaches or failed coaches and those that are successful are how they bounce back and recover and move on and keep taking one step forward every single day amidst the failure and certainly after the failure. In what I get to do and all the work that we do for college coaches, over the, the last decade uh, plus, I've had the opportunity to be on the inside of listening to coaches tell their stories about failure. Uh, coaches that you've never heard from that are out of the game now that wish they would have done something differently, as well as coaches that you would know that are, are very well known and well regarded in their sport 
that are very successful, at least on the outside. That's how it would appear. And yet they would tell you some of the most amazing stories of failure and how they learned from it and and what they learned from it. And those are the things that I want to bring to you today. And we're going to do it through talking to a former college coach who has made failure and the study of it one of the things that he has built a very successful consulting practice on. Before we get to that, I want to jump in and and remind you to register for the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference June 6th through the 8th, 2017. We're having it at Duke University, and it's going to be amazing. We're beginning to release the speaker information and the list of experts that we have, uh, outside consultants, as well as current college coaches, is absolutely uh, breathtaking. And it is three days of pure recruiting training and learning that whatever coach uh, goes to it and experiences it, uh, the, the one thing that they say is it was the best professional development sessions that they've ever had as a coach. And I really want you to experience it. It's in a very, very unique location this year. Uh, and, and we're just doing our best to make sure that it's a fantastic event for you. So you can go to dantutor.com uh, slash conferences and go and get all the information on registering. If you can't make it, if the dates conflict with something in the middle of that week in June, you can also order the video, all the, the full video from it. We want coaches to learn. That's why we're making it so easy and available for coaches to uh, to get access to. It's great if you're there because you get to experience it with other coaches and steal their ideas, and the, the side conversations that you have are just amazing. But if you can't, at least get the video because that's something that you and your staff would learn from uh, throughout the year, and you have access to that video and the video of all past conferences for the entire year. The other thing that I'll uh, remind you to do or encourage you to do in terms of online learning over time and getting training on how to recruit is become a part of Tudor University. It's a special online training certification program that we've developed that lots of coaches around the country are going through. And the the feedback that we get from them is that they love learning at their own pace. It's not easy. It is something that you're tested on because we really want to certify that the people that go through this, this system and this uh, this online training are prepared to recruit better than their competition. And it's just something that I'd love for you to take a look at. You can go to dantutor.com and look at Tudor University and get the details there. And we would love to have you be a part of it because it's one of the best investments into your coaching career that you can make. So with that being said, I want to jump into today's conversation all about failure, how to overcome it. And we're going to do so by talking to a former college coach who knows a lot about the topic because he has made it the subject on which he has been helping a lot of companies, a lot of coaching staffs, a lot of colleges around the country throughout the last few years. Uh, And I want to introduce you to him right now. Our guest today is Jim Harshaw Jr., and this is a man who has made failure his life. Uh, let me explain a little bit about that because he is a very successful person, but like most of us, he has had failure. The difference between Jim and the rest of us is that he has boiled down failure into life principles. This is a man who has taken the idea of failing and actually determined and figured out how do you bounce back from it successfully? Whether that is a bad season, mistakes you made in recruiting, mistakes you made in hiring that other coach on your staff, uh, or whatever it is, 
everybody experiences failure if they're in college athletics. Jim has ideas and principles that are proven to work in how to overcome failure, not just overcome it, but actually learn from it and make it a tool that is becomes a part of your success. He has done this for college athletic programs, coaches, business leaders around the country. He is the go-to guy in the U.S. when it comes to failure and how to learn from it and overcome it. And so we were really privileged to have him uh, in the conversation today. Uh, I was actually a guest on his podcast, uh, Success Through Failure, is the name of his uh, his show. And I was a guest a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic conversation and really insightful. You should, if you're a coach, subscribe to his podcast, Success Through Failure, because it really is educational and insightful in how to turn things around in, in your career and your life that would on the face seem like a failure. Uh, he has ideas and and talks to people who have ideas on how to make it, turn it into a success. So, fantastic resource. And you can go to his website, Jim Harshaw Jr., which is J-I-M-H-A-R-S-H-A-W-Jr.com. I'll put that in the show notes here on the podcast if you want to click on it and go to it. Really valuable stuff. You can see a great TED Talk that he's done. You can read his blog, listen to past podcast interviews. It is the go-to resource for overcoming failure. Lots of good information also in there, by the way, for your team and your athletes. If you're a program that is struggling and you just need ideas and topics of how to talk through this with your team, uh, fantastic resource. I really just recommend it as a whole uh, surrounding this idea of overcoming failure. In our conversation, I really wanted him to zero in on, on observations he's made about college athletics and coaching because there is, again, so much failure that happens in that arena that you as a coach that is listening to this, that you're experiencing, I wanted to make sure that you have a resource to go to and some ideas to take home with you today that help you overcome that failure. So when we start off the conversation with Jim, it was a very direct question and a fairly simple, logical question I thought to start with. Why did he want to base an entire work life and and consulting company around this idea of overcoming failure? Why base everything around failure? Because failure is, everybody experiences it. What we what happens in society is we see people that are successful, right? Whether it's the athletes or the coaches who are winning the national championship or the entertainer up on stage, we see their success, but what we don't see is the failure and the struggle and the strife and the setbacks and the adversity that are required to get there. Um, and, 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 you know, I've been a division one head coach and, and I've been around the coaching profession for a long time. I know, uh, I, I know that every time I have felt like there's something going wrong inside my program, it, you know, a kid quits or we lose a match, you know, when I was a wrestling coach, um, I think it's, you know, you feel like it's, or you have some sort of like problem on your team. You know, you always feel like it's your own program. And then you talk to your buddy who's coaching at another school and they're telling you, you know, it has to be a friend because nobody else is going to tell you the dirt in their program. <laughs> right, but, you know, right. you talk to a friend, they're like telling you the same thing, all the, the horror stories they've got. And you're like, okay, this is normal, right? So failure is normal. And that's my goal. I mean, really, really, Dan, that's my purpose in life, I think now is, is to convince people to, to normalize failure. Because failure is, in fact, a necessary step on the path to success. You know, we, 
we remember, you know, to use a sports analogy, we, we remember Cy Young as the, the Major League Baseball leader, uh, record holder for wins. Right. Well, we don't remember him for being the also the Major League Baseball record holder for games lost. We don't remember. Nobody knows that, right? right. People remember <laughs> your successes, not your failures. So your, the amount of success that you experience is directly tied to the amount of failure you experience. You know, Babe Ruth led the league in home runs and, and also led the league, led the league in, in strikeouts. And, right. you know, Pete Rose, we remember that he, he led the league in... And hits, you know, he has the, the record for, for hits, but he also has the record for outs. He's the record holder has for the most outs. I mean, Kobe right. Bryant has, you know, he's one of the best players of all time in basketball, and, and we don't realize that uh, he, he holds the records for most shots missed. How about that? So <laughs> failure is the more you fail, the more you're going to succeed. Okay, so if you're a college coach, and we have a lot listening to this, they, they just heard what you've outlined, and I can hear them saying, well, Jim, easy for you to say, when Babe Ruth was striking out, he still got paid, he had his contract, he was going to be there uh, with the Yankees the next year and the year after that. If I fail, I could be fired this next, you know, in, in a couple of weeks or a month or in two years. And so, and you're coming from, you're, you're cut from that college coach cloth, the psychology of failure in college coaching is really a tough one to crack, isn't it? I mean, that's sure, that's yeah. something that you're asking them to say, okay, I you know accept failure, and that might mean I get fired. Okay, but then I'll I'll take that lesson into the next job, and that's really that's a big that's a big uh, gap to to try and jump for a lot of coaches. Sure, and and to be clear, obviously, we're not suggesting you know go out and try to lose games. We're tr- we're talking about taking risks, trying, and, and when failure happens, realizing that this, is, this has happened to the greatest of all time as well. So we're not actually seeking failure. We are, we're, we're moving forward. We're, we're having, you know, we're understanding what our values are. We're setting clear goals for ourselves, for our teams, whether it's in recruiting or, or obviously wins and loss or winning championships and, you know, academics, all these things that, that affect us as coaches. You know, we have these goals. And, and when we don't get there or we fail, whether it's a small failure, you know, you, you lose a, a three-star recruit or a big failure, you, you know, don't win a game all season, right? We have right. to understand that, that this is not just me, right? This is not just some weakness that I have. This is, this is something that happens to the greatest of all time. And so if you, if you do you know, go over and you don't win a game all season or a match or a, or a race or event, then, then you got to realize that, uh, it, and let's say you get fired, you know, the, the worst, worst case scenario there is you get fired. Well, you have to understand that, that the great coaches, great coaches have been fired right. and, and have, have bounced back. And so we have to, we have to find these examples because we don't just see them again. We're not remembered for our failures. We're remembered for our successes. So this goes for every other coach. You know, you don't, it's probably hard to pull out in your mind the, the coaches who have been fired but have gone on to amazing careers afterwards because we don't remember failures. 
we right. could probably find them. We might, you know, if you list like the top 10 most successful coaches or 20 or 30, you, you could probably go through and find a lot of stories of failure that are in their background. But we don't know those stories. We actually have to look because people don't write about that. They write about the championships, right? So, so it's right. a matter of normalizing that and understanding that, that it's not just happening to you. So in your in your podcast, which is one of eight that I listen to, and I've sort of had to limit it at that because otherwise you just get behind. You're not able to keep up with right. with every all the information that's out there. At least I'm not. I'm glad it made uh, the top eight. But Good that's uh, it's, it's fantastic, and here's why it's fantastic because I've always taken the approach in whatever I've done, whether it's athletics, business, uh, anything is I'm always curious what I'm doing wrong. Don't tell me what I've done right or what you liked. What did I do wrong? How could it have been better? And I think that's just a trait with people who, uh, again, are in athletics or, or in business. So I'm just curious, your Success Through Failure podcast, which every coach should listen to, I'm wondering, give me your top one or two stories of of what has really uh, you've, 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 I, as we record this, you've had close to 90 podcast interviews with all sorts of people. And I'm, I'm just wondering, what, what are the one or two stories that really stick out as good lessons from failure that you've heard other people talk about on your podcast that, that I think would be valuable for maybe coaches to hear uh, as from a learning standpoint? Yeah. Oh, man, there are so un- unbelievably so many. Um, and so I'll, I'll give you a couple small snippets yeah. and then, and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll kind of extract that into these sort of actionable lessons and lessons that we can actually, we can actually use to, to make progress in our own lives. So, um, rich roll. So for any of the audience who he has a, a huge, huge podcast and he's kind of, I guess you call him internet famous, you know? Um, but he was a, he is actually a, a swimmer at Stanford, uh, Olympic sort of hopeful early in his career, uh, ended up quitting swimming, and I don't know if he I can't remember if he dropped out of school or whatnot. But I mean, he he really had some uh, uh, some rough times early in his life. Uh, has gone on to incredible success. He um, uh, he he actually no, he did. He graduated. He became a lawyer, a very successful lawyer in L.A., and, and then started this this uh, business where he's um, I mean, he's basically a professional athlete now. Um, so he's he's. Failed tremendously and and ended up becoming successful. Uh, another one's Boss Rutten. We'll stick with sort of sports examples for the most part. Boss Rutten is the the UFC champion. Uh, was the UFC champion. Um, and his story of of tremendous uh, failure and setback when he was a youth uh, is just incredible. I mean, he's he was a kid who got bullied. Um, he was sick a lot. He had like severe, severe asthma. And, uh, and he, he succeeded through this, through these struggles, through these failures. Um, there, there are, I'm trying to think if there's a, another one that's sort of sports related that, that comes to the top of my mind. Um, Bob Bowlesby is one. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Bowlesby is the commissioner of the Big 12. I interviewed him ex, uh, uh, episode 36. That's a really inter- interesting interview for, for, for the for the college coaches out there listening right now. But, um, you know, he, he talks about his failures as he was actually a college wrestler like myself. Um, but he talked about his failures and what he learned as a, you know, through those failures that, that taught him about success. And so I, I, I've taken sort of all these lessons, you know, and interviewing all these individuals who have endured tremendous failure. Um, 
um, there's another one, Tom Kalopoulos. So Tom Kalopoulos was a, uh, he's a, he's a, a speaker and, and uh, he's an Inc CEO of an Inc 500 company, but he was a, he was a high school athlete. He actually never won a single wrestling match. So he was another wrestler coincidentally, uh, but he never won a single wrestling match. And, but he, but he went on to incredible success and he, and he, and he relates all the, he, he, he sort of credits his success to his experience as an athlete. Um, and, and so I can give you a million examples, but yeah. what it boils down to is, is when, when we fail, the people who are able to fail, Dan, and, and then create success out of it versus the people who fail and they, and they, and, the, and it just causes more failure. It causes self doubt. It causes right. lowering of their goals or settling for less. The difference is this this, the, these sort of four key components that they have in place in their life. And I've identified these through my own experience because I, 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 a lot of my experience as an athlete was, was as a failure. You know, I, I, I failed year after year after year in college, trying to get onto the podium at the national championships. I mean, shoot, I even failed massively in high school. I, my goal is to win the Pennsylvania state wrestling championship. And, uh, not only did I not win the national or the state championship, I didn't even place in the top six ever. And, and I go on to college and as, as a tremendous failure, I mean, it was, it was, you know, uh, a career that, that should have ended in some kind of success in high school, but it didn't. And, uh, but I still got the door open to me, go to the university of Virginia and, and, um, had, uh, a, a, a career that was more failure after failure after failure. But finally my senior year, I broke through, I got onto the podium. I was, I became a division one, all American. I beat the wow. fourth ranked guy in the country in front of 15,000 people at the national championships. And it all, and it all happened for me. And so what the differences between people who like, like myself, like yourself, like, like, like these individuals that I, that I mentioned who can take these failures, these setbacks and create success out of them is there, there are four pieces that have to be in place and think of these as like four dials for, first of all, they are cumulative. The first one, okay. you have the first one in place before you have the second one, before you have the third and fourth, but there are sort of four dials that all of us, every listener, um, has these in place in some way, shape or form in their life. But, but you may need to turn up one dial and turn down another, or so, for example. So the four steps are this, if I can share those that are right. Dan, yeah, absolutely. These four steps. No, okay. I love it. Yeah. So the first one is, is, understanding your core values. And I know this is cliche. I know people say, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, I've heard this story before, but if you don't understand what is truly important to you, if you can't spout it out in an instant, like I can, I can say faith, family, fit, and fun. Those are my four core values. They're actually five because fit stands for both fitness and, and a job that fits my, my interest. But, but those are the things that are, that are most important to me, those core values. And and when we're athletes, like you think about elite athletes, we have these things in place, right? Elite athletes know what is important to them, okay? So, and that's whether you're an elite athlete or an elite business person or an elite performer, it doesn't matter. You know what's important to you, right? And, right. and then the second part is this, elite performers, again, in athletics, business, otherwise, they, they have goals that align with those values, right? So if you have goals that align with your values, you're going to be able to get up after every failure, right? Failure becomes a tool for success. But if you don't have goals that align, if you don't know your core values and you don't have goals that actually align with those, then, then failure is just going to cause, like I said, more failure, more self-doubt, more settling for less and giving up on your dreams and your hopes and your wishes. And, and, and so you see the elite athletes, elite performers, they know what's important to them and they have goals that align with, with those values, not 
goals that align with somebody else's values or their neighbor's values or their parents' values or society's values, you have to do things a little bit differently sometimes. And sometimes right. that means aligning your values, aligning your goals, I should say, with your values. So that's the first two steps. And then the third step is is what I've noticed in, in my own life when I was able to turn failure into success and then I see these other individuals that I interview for my podcast, how do they take failure? You know, what's, what else is in place when they take failure and turn it into, into success? It's, it's, you know, when I was competing, I had a coach, right? And what, what was important to me then? Well, it, you know, my career was on the line in terms of getting on the podium, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what's, what's on the line now in the real world? Well, it's like my wife, my four kids, my job, my livelihood, my happiness, everything, right? So, so we have a coach when we're an athlete, but when the stakes are higher, most people don't have a coach, right? right? So, so I, I, I've learned that so many of these individuals, they have coaches. You know, when I was competing, I had coaches, I had nutritionists, I had sports psychologists, I had, you know, trainers and strength and conditioning coaches. You have all these people around you, right? So you surround yourself with the right people and the late, great, Speaker Jim Rohn, author Jim Rohn said, you are the average of the five people you spend your, the most time with, which, which is a great quote. It kind of succinctly says it, but it, it's, it doesn't tell the whole story because, uh, because if it was true, I'd be a teenage girl, <laughs> to be honest, because I, I live with three women, right. you know, my, my wife and two young daughters, and I live with two, and then my two sons. So the average of that, I think, is probably so, about a teenage So girl. Jim, on, on that third point that you just mentioned, you know, having, having that coach, and I'm using that in quotes, is it fair to say, as you were talking about that, I was trying to picture, okay, here we are later in life, and a coach later in life, and uh, they're not an athlete anymore, but they're training athletes, and they are now the coach. Is it? Are you really saying that as one of the requirements is almost that you have to you have to find something that pushes you? That's right. Yeah. Okay. You, so you it could be. Find- it doesn't have to be an individual. It could be. Um, I, I want to save my job and st- remain a coach. And so I need to up it in these, these certain areas. So you're really talking about what drives you or what is the thing that, that pushes you? Yeah. But also, but also people, you know I mean? Sure. And it, it doesn't be have person. to be like a paid, a paid coach, for example. Um, but, but it should be a mentor or, um, an individual that you can talk to that, that holds you accountable. maybe it's just, uh, a colleague at a different school. Um, Uh, maybe it's a fellow coach in your department that you can really sit down, close the door with and say, Hey, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I need to get done. Um, and having that conversation and then, then kind of holding each other accountable, you know, someone who can kind of got it, help you gain perspective. You know, that's really what a coach does for us. It helps us gain a perspective. You know, you're out there compete athletes out there competing and the coaches is looking on with a different perspective and, and you can help that individual. So it's, it's not only the, the people, but it's also the content, you know, like when I was, you know, when I was wrestling, I was watching film of the world championships. I'd watch breakdown film of myself or my opponents. And uh, I would listen to an audio, you know, this, this sort of mindset audio that I would listen to over and over. So the content that we feed into our mind, which makes us better, where, like, like your podcast or my podcast or, you know, wh- you know, you listen to ESPN radio on the drive to work? Or are you feeding yourself with something that's actually going to help you, you know, be smarter or be more tactical or uh, move towards your goals? So it's this environment of excellence. And right. then, so those are the first three steps. And then just to wrap it up with the last step is, is, is it's just follow through. Okay. It's, it's, it's getting up one more time every time and executing every single time. Cause I remember at the end of my junior year, um, when I failed again to become an all American and, uh, you know, just my face buried in a towel in tears, wondering why can't I do this? You know, what's wrong with me? Why, you know, I, 
I, I do everything I possibly can. I can't possibly run more miles, lift more weights, watch more film. There's just not enough hours in the day. And I know a lot of coaches listening to this are saying, yeah, I, I know what it means when to say there's no, there's not enough hours in the day. Well, there's not, you know, you, cause there's always more to do. There's always one more handwritten note to send to a recruiter or a phone call or <laughs> right. Google search to do. It. So there's always more to do. So it's a matter of having the first three pieces in place and then just right. continuing to execute. So again, back to the topic of failure. Uh, I'm wondering, have you seen a difference or do people take different lessons from failure that comes from just tough circumstances like your re wrestling career? You had failure after failure. You stuck it out. You kept coming back. That fourth dial, you turned that up and you just kept coming at it. And it re you eventually uh, were rewarded through, um, you know, by through the failure, you were rewarded at the end with a success and, and that goal was accomplished. And I'm wondering, so obviously you learned a lot through that process, but a lot of times failure comes from people who were just negligent or failure comes from oversight or being lazy or just some other deficit. And I'm just wondering, do you still, are, are there still valuable lessons to learn from that? Or is that sort of where success through failure really, that's where the line is drawn and you can't have success through that kind of failure, just in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes, absolutely. The answer is yes. You can learn from you can learn from any of these failures, but it all it always takes that that ability to step back. You know, the, the, whether the the failures through negligence, and you know, I can remember back when I was coaching, I, uh, a failure I made is uh, I put a guy out in competition who wasn't cleared by the NCAA clearinghouse, and it was sort of a you know, it was a something that, that shouldn't have happened. It was my fault. It was, it was negligence on my part, but it had been so long since this kid applied and there was some sort of hangups in the system and, and it shouldn't happen. I mean, the kid was far above academically qualified, um, but it was a failure that I experienced. So it was a negligent failure and I never made that mistake again, of course, you know? Um, sure. And then there's failure from simply just taking risk and trying something and failing. So those are right. two obviously different types of failures and they feel different and, and they are different. And in one, you, the, the first one I mentioned is, is okay, it's, it's obvious I can't do that again. But the other one, when you take a risk and you try something and you fail, that one just create, that's the one that creates the self-doubt, the, you know, you go after the big recruit and, and you don't get that individual and, and you're like, man, well, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe right. the school's not good enough. Maybe, right. Well, it's, 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 if you have the, if you have the core values and the goals and the environment of excellence and the people around you and you continue to follow through, then you're going to be able to adjust the dials and you're going to have somebody who can help you gain the perspective, that coach or that colleague or that mentor who can help you go, okay, well, tell me how the recruiting process went. Well, well, what did, what did he or she say when, when she, um, you know, at the end of the official visit or whatever the case might be. And you help break down that process like you, you know, I mean, this is what you do. You know, you help right. break down that process and, and you go, okay, well, here's maybe why I failed or where we failed. And, and maybe we could, we could fix this and try this again with this other five-star recruit, for example. Right, right. So what is your greatest failure? You've talked about the and, – and by the way, I'll back up a second. I was <laughs> – when I did your podcast and, you know, of course, you know, getting ready to talk about failure, we really didn't get into that. So you didn't have me tell my failure stories, which I appreciate. I'm not going to let you off the hook so easily. <laughs> so tell me what is, in, in your life, what is the greatest failure and how to, what did you learn from that? Yeah, yeah, man. Well, for, 
for the listeners who want to hear about my my athletic failure um, in my, my through my TEDx talk, it's a it's a short one. It's a six or seven minute talk that you can listen to pretty easily. I've had a lot of coaches email me and tell me I shared this with my team or shared this with my my uh, even my kids or my family, whatever. Um, but uh, but I talk about my my failure as a wrestler, and that's on your website by that's the way. On my too. Website, that's on Jim yeah. Jim Junior Jr. dot com. So that's Jim right. Harshaw Jr. dot com. You can go to the TED Talk. Yeah, and and so that's 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 my athletic failure. But I'll say one that's that's much more significant that um, hurt a lot more uh, in in certainly different ways. Um, I talked about how you know when you're an athlete, the stakes are <laughs> extremely important to you. But when you're in the real world, it's it's things that are you know it's your family and your right. well being and that sort of thing right. that are much more important. So, you know, my 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 greatest failure is um, is when. I had uh, been about 15 years out of college or 12 years out of college, and and I had a moment where you know, it, it, in you know, I, was, I had become an All-American. I was an Olympic hopeful, trained at the Olympic Training Center, competed overseas for Team USA, and you know, eventually became a Division One head coach. And I was the youngest head wrestling coach in the country at the time. And so, and then I started a you know, I actually got myself out of coaching just sort of for the balance factor in my own life, and kind of you know, it was really not for my sort of, mm-hmm. you know, my, uh, my, the health of my family, I would say. And then, so I stepped out, I started a business that was successful, sold that, started another business and that business went in the tank. Mm. And it's not the business failure that was my greatest failure. It's, it's the fact that I, I remember one evening sitting down, um, looking for a job on Craigslist and going like, how did I how did I get here to this moment? You know, I'm the guy that was successful, right? I'm the right. all American and the youngest division one coach and the sold the business. And, and, but now I'm like, I, I had a failed business. I had a failing marriage. I had, uh, wasn't spending nearly as much time and focus on my family and my kids as I should have been. I had three kids at the time. And, uh, we had debt up to our eyeballs and, and things just were things were things was, was in the worst physical condition of my life. And that moment, that was my biggest failure, you know, mm. ex- you know, get everything that led to that moment. And, and it was one thing about the business failure, but it was, it was everything else that, that really is, is inexcusable. And that literally Dan, that night I walked out, I closed my computer, walked up the steps, laid down in bed next to my wife. And, and I was staring at the ceiling and that's when these four steps to this blueprint that I just shared earlier, kind of like a camera lens, kind of slowly coming into focus. You right. know, that's, that's when I realized like, Hey, I, I was successful as an athlete how did I do it despite all my failures, even because of my failures, what was in place, you know, and I kind of identified these four steps and then I started talking to individuals and interviewing people. And I said, this is real, not just for me, but for, for billionaire Mike Novogratz, episode sure. 35 and, and all, you know, in, in the Olympians and the um, New York times, best-selling authors and everybody else that I've interviewed. I'm like, these are key components to success in anything. And so it's interesting how this, this, greatest failure of my life really led to to something that's helped a lot of people avoid that kind of failure in their lives. So you just shared something extremely personal and you opened yourself up and made yourself vulnerable. And I appreciate it because I didn't know what the answer to that question was going to be. And I'm, I'm just wondering, as I was thinking, as you were telling me that story, a uh, very personal time in your life, is part of the requirement for success to have experienced a failure like that where it was sort of one of those you know late night everything becomes crystal clear type of moments that is almost i mean is that one of the requirements for success is to 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 sort of go to the bottom so that 
it allows you then to rebuild the right way? You know, Dan, that is such a great question. I've been asked that question before. I I, I don't, I'll give you my Sure, this is just your opinion. opinion. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I see failure as such a huge part of the success stories of so many people. You know, we just talked about the Babe Ruths and Cy Youngs right. and Kobe Bryant's of the world, but it's reflected in in you know I interviewed an astronaut and you know the amazing failures in his life, and I interview um, you know Diamond Dallas Page, a you know, former professional wrestler, and the failures and struggle and in strife in his life. And is it a requirement? I don't know, but I know I I know it's you're going to be hard pressed to find individuals who haven't failed finding the top of the podium, you know, right. um, I think the, you're not so much is it's, it's, you're required to take a risk to find success. You're, you're required to risk, to risk and, and to move forward into areas that make you really uncomfortable. That is going to cause you, um, pain and mm. discomfort and failure in that is the only way that you're going to find success. So I'm going to bring this back to coaches now that are listening to this because so much of the coaching world, and certainly you've experienced this, you can identify with with what I'll say, so much of the coaching world is structure and organization and hierarchy and you have to pay your dues and do this and then maybe you can get this and everything is regimented, paperwork, um, tracked, uh, you have compliance, uh, things that you have to, you have to make sure are, uh, are, um, are in place. Does that, just with that environment that coaches operate within, is it fair to say that there's an element that, that almost restricts that, that risk taking a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More and more really as, um, as the rules get tighter and, and the requirements get more strict, um, so what, so yeah. what would be what would be your recommendation then? Just and if you're agreeing with that idea, let me just take it the next step then. So for the, and again, the coach that's listening to this that is bought in, you're right. I need to take more risks, Jim. I need to, you know, set myself up and not be afraid of failure. Within those confines, within within that the the, the structure that they're operating within within college coaching. What would your advice be for how they take risks or how they risk failure in in what they do on a daily basis is as an overall way to get better and to become a better coach and person and 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 ultimately more successful? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So we all wake up every morning and we pretty much do and, and this is coaches and, and mm-hmm. a lot of other people in the world. So we we do today. Uh, what we're going to do tomorrow for no other reason than because we did it yesterday, right? So we, we have these confines, we have these restrictions and we have to go about things step by step and turn this form into that compliance, et cetera. We have all these restrictions around. So the, the underlying, the underlying habit that I've found for all successful people is some form of hitting the pause button. And when you hit the pause button, on your life. And I'm going to give you some examples, but when you hit the pause button, it allows you to identify the things that, that you need to do. Okay. Maybe it's the, the getting out of my comfort zone and taking the risk So we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, what kind of risks can I take or how do I figure out which are the right risks, et cetera. 
it's going to be, of course, different for, for everybody and sure. whether, whatever division you're in, whatever sport you're in, whatever time of the season you're in. So you have to sit down and you have to hit the pause button on your life. And, and, and when I say the pause button, I mean journaling or meditation or just thinking. Jack Welch, um, you know, the the GE, uh, CEO, former CEO of GE, you know, sort of a celebrity CEO, if you will. But, you know, one of the things he said he did every single day was he, he would stand at the window and he would think. He would spend time thinking, right? Instead of just doing, 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 right. which, you know, coach, you walk into your office and there's a, a stack of papers on your desk and there's an email inbox filling up, filling up by the second. And you have to pull back. Actually, Tom Flick uh, interviewed. He's a former NFL quarterback um, uh, just a few episodes ago, around episode 80 or something like that. Um, but Tom said you know, one of the things he does, and he's a world-renowned consultant, a business consultant. He would tell he, t- he coaches people to push back from their desk and sit down and think about how do I win the day today? And, and it's this, this moment of pause that can help you identify what are the risks that I need to take? What are the right risks? You know, is this, it's not just taking a risk just right. for the sake of just the for risk. The sake what, of is, right. what is the right risk? What is the right action? What do I need to have accomplished by the end of the day today so that I can, so I can move my program forward so I can get outside of my comfort zone or, or you know, you might, and, and I define the productive pause as this. It's a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. Find a coach that doesn't want clarity of action and peace of mind. You won't find them out there because <laughs> him or her, it's, 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 we all want that clarity of right. action and peace of mind. So it's a matter of, you know, asking yourself the right questions. For example, what's the one thing that I'm not doing right now that if I were, would most move me towards success. Ask yourself that question in a quiet room with a paper and pen in your hand and and you will find the right risk to take. It's usually something you fear, usually something you're avoiding because it's it's hard or it's scary, but that's that's a good way to go about figure right. out what the next step is. Let me ask you this too because then you work with businesses but also in in the coaching world and that's where you've you've um you gain a lot of your experience from is is from a division one athlete coach perspective and i'm just wondering just knowing that community and knowing the coaches that you know what are are there common failures that you see coaches making or experiencing on a regular basis that whether they learn from it down the road or not it still remains to be seen but are there some common things that are that are prevalent uh, within the coaching community that we would chalk up to as, as failures or struggles or things that, that, you know, sometimes they, even if it's self-inflicted, the wounds that, uh, that, that they have as just w- as a part of that career, what, what have you noticed or what would you put together as a list of things that you've seen with college coaches? Yeah. You know, I'll go back to what I talked about in terms of, of hitting the pause button. It's, it's doing the same thing tomorrow doing the same thing today as they're going to do tomorrow because they did it yesterday. And it's, it's a it's the biggest failure, uh, stems from, from not hitting the pause button and not, not, you know, not, and that has to be intentional too. I mean, that's if if you, if in the coaching world, if you don't schedule that time in on the business world too, but especially with coaching, it's, it's almost impossible to, you'll just get sucked up in the daily grind and the daily tornado that, that blows through in your, in your world. You have, you know, you see compliance officers and your strength and conditioning coach and, you know, your athletes and parents and recruits and everybody else pulling at you for your time. And 
you will never find more time in the day than after you hit the pause button and, and do this intentional thinking. And, and because, and that's, that's what I found is the is the cause of the big. What is the exact biggest failure? I, I don't I don't know. Um, I, I haven't really actually thought of that. It's a great way to think about that. I don't know what the biggest failure is or the most common failures, but but I can tell you that that most of them are either avoided because of the, hitting the pause button, or they are learned from, and you can benefit from them mm-hmm. if you hit the pause button and you intentionally think about it. Got it. With, just in your experience in working with with um, with coaches and and again coming from that world, we've talked about the 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 downside or the you know the negatives. What are the things that you see coaches doing right? The ones that are successful, and I'm assuming it's incorporating some of these elements that you've already discussed. But is there are there things that you would want to pass on or explain to coaches? Uh, here now that they should be doing or that they should uh, actively look to do that will make them successful and maybe they could avoid some of the failures that they uh, that they maybe don't have to learn from if they just did x y and z better uh, there's there's really two that i would say um the first is is gaining getting that environment back around you choosing the people that you uh, spend your time with so that you can so you can operate the most effectively and the most efficiently because your time is just going to be stolen and sometimes you know you end up saying yes to things that you should be saying no to because anytime you actually mm. anytime you say yes to anything you know doing something or doing a giving a talk or traveling to watch a recruiter whatever the case might be Anytime you say yes to that, it means you're saying no to something else. So right. anytime uh, you can spend with a mentor or spend doing thinking, um, that's the number one thing that people can do to to avoid failure and also to learn from it. But also the other thing is is it comes down to your network. You know what I mean? Chris Rock said, you know, 80% of people in, in America have their jobs because of somebody they know. Um, and it just comes back to the value of relationships. You know, there are people out there that want to help you, coach. There are people that can help you, um, in, in every area of your life. And, and so reaching out and staying connected with, with old colleagues and, um, you know, connecting at, at coaches conventions and, and coaches clinics and that sort of thing. I mean, making those connections, growing your network, uh, just increases the number of resources at your fingertips. Right. Going back to the, the personal failure that you shared, are you glad you experienced that? Oh man, that that's like the million dollar question. You know, am I glad I experienced? In hindsight, yes. You know, whatever. Do I want to go through another one of those? Um, no, but I, I but I, I guess you have to say yes if that means yeah. if that means I'm going to have another leap in in awareness and success in my own life. Then, then I guess yes, but my goodness, you know, it's like it's like going into practice when when you know coach is going to put you through the ringer. You know, it's like, do I want to go through this? No, but but I know I'm going to be better on right. the other side of it. You know, so um, so I'm going to leave it at that, nice and vague, right on the fence. How has it made you? How has that? How did that experience make you a better person? Yeah, it made me. You know, both my my experience in failure as a wrestler and my experience in failure uh, in in the real world they made me a better person because they've made me um, more introspective. But but they also make you you know there there's a a coach friend of mine who always says uh, you get tough by doing tough things. 
You know, mm-hmm. you get tough by doing tough things. And so true. They've made me tougher. And and my kids, if you ask my any of my four kids, they, they range in age three to 11. If you ask any one of them, even my three-year-old, how do you get tough? It's by doing tough things, dad. And, and I don't care if that tough thing is wrestling practice or a failed business or piano practice when you don't want to do it um, or math problems. You know, think about my own kids' experiences right now. Um, <laughs> you get tough by doing tough things, and it's, um, it's something that, that is extreme, an extremely valuable part of those failures. And that's how it's changed me. It's, it's made me tougher. And when I say tougher, I don't mean I can go beat more people up in a bar fight. Um, I, I mean, it makes me tougher in that I can work when I'm uncomfortable. Um, I can experience failure and setback and, and gain perspective and realize, okay, this is actually a part of my path to, you know, tremendous success. And, and when we can do that, um, it makes life better. So the last thing that I want you to talk on is maybe answer this, this question, because as we've been talking, the one thing that I keep coming back to is that, you know, what we, and what you are suggesting coaches do, it's so, uh, anti what the world tells them to do, especially in their career, you know, you want to play it safe. Don't take risks. Just, you know, it's, you just follow the rules. Don't make a, don't make waves and you'll have a job. And there's a lot of that that goes through society really is, you know, you don't want to fail. And, and when you do fail, you know, you are, um, you know, you just that that's not you didn't play you, you didn't do the right things or it was your fault and it becomes this very negative thing and and yet we've spent the last 30 40 minutes talking about all the benefits that come from learning from failure and our society doesn't reward that um i guess i'm just asking maybe for your observation on the world that we live in and the world that these coaches operate within which is you know if you fail at something that's bad. You could be fired and, and you know, it's your fault. And I think that's, you know, we never want it to be our fault. We never want to, you know, put onto Facebook how life is really going. We have to be smiling. We have to, you know, kind of pose and, and build the life that we, that we want people to see um, on Facebook uh, or other social media or just, you know, in what we drive or where we live or whatever it happens to be for that individual. So we live in a society that has sort of shamed failure. And I'm just, I love your observations on that, just as the bigger context of what we've been talking about. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we feel like if we don't, if we take a risk, then, then we won't lose. If, we feel like if we don't take a risk, then, then everything will be okay with status quo. We won't lose our job. But oftentimes it's the opposite. It's like right. in order to keep <laughs> right. our job, in order to find the level of success that I need to have just, just to keep my job, let alone to, to improve in my job, it, it requires getting outside of our comfort zone. It requires failure. And, you know, there's so many people that I talk to, Dan, that, that, they are looking for what's next. They're trying to answer the question, what's next for me? What's next in my life? And they're, they're sort of, they have this sort of lack of clarity, lack of focus. Um, they don't feel like their life is in balance. And, and it's all, it all comes from being unwilling to sit down, identify what our core values are, document what the goals that align with those core values are, creating an environment of excellence, and then executing, then following through. Because when you do that, it is scary. 
It's scary. Right. And, and it's going to force you into situations that are uncomfortable where you might fail. Because if you fail, and, and, and if you don't do that, then and you don't experience failure, you will not succeed, period. You can't. Like, failure is required, and discomfort and adversity is required. It is part of the path to anyone's success. Whether you know it or not, and usually you won't know it, it is, it's a part of getting there. So I would encourage every coach to, to consider just, just hitting the pause button and, and, and doing some thinking. That's going to be the biggest thing that's going to, to move them forward. Which takes us back to the last scene in It's a Wonderful Life. To my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Everything turns out okay for George. His friends rally and support him. And George gets a very special gift from Clarence the Angel. If you've seen the movie, you remember, he opens up the copy of Tom Sawyer. And on the front, Clarence has written to George, No man is a failure who has friends. Certainly true. I'm going to add one part to it, though, for college coaches. No coach is a failure if they face down their mistake, learn from that failure, and turn it into ways to be successful in the future, both as a coach and as a recruiter. And also remember that no coach is a failure who goes to jimharshawjr.com. Take a look at his website and resources. Man, we thank him for being our guest. What fantastic lessons he passed along. Coach, we hope you have a great week. Hope this was helpful in your career and in your planning. And hope, hopefully it gave you a little bit of a boost heading into the rest of this recruiting cycle. Until next time, this is College Recruiting Weekly, the podcast. I'm Dan Tudor. Have a great week. <laughs>